Don't ever let anyone tell you that life is not a constant search for what we're trying to say. Because this episode reproved to me, I don't even know if that's a word, but it proved to me yet again that even when I'm getting closer to knowing what I have to say, I can all of a sudden lightning target onto something that I want to say in a deeper way than I ever have before. And every single podcast episode that I have recorded after talking with Becky Robinson, author of Reach and the founder of Weaving Influence, a great company, I highly recommend you check her out and everything that she has to offer because she is amazing as a human being, as a generous person, as a marketer, as somebody who cares about you. Every episode that I have done following my interview with Becky has been better than any episode I did before, uh, including you'll hear reference to my interview with Brad Listy, which I have uh, since released. Uh, a couple of other episodes that I have since released have also technically taken place a little earlier in the, or excuse me, later in the timeline than the episode with Becky, but I was waiting for the ideal time to get this episode perfectly edited because I knew I was sitting on a gold mine. You are going to enjoy this conversation with Becky. We go over everything from being famous to a few to selling a million copies of your book, uh, and I would say that there are some uh, robust conversations about the mindset for both ways of being an author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Becky Robinson, and please look out for the links in the show notes today because there is a forthcoming novel from an author she mentions towards the very end of this interview. And if you want to put your money where your mouth is, buy this author's book, pre-order it so that she can have an amazing book launch. I don't know. Maybe I believe in karma. Maybe I don't. But I think there's nothing wrong with supporting an author who's about to release a really great novel. Again, enjoy my conversation with Becky Robinson. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. Before Lady Gaga became famous, um, you know, there are some stories and you see around the internet of uh, kind of people who doubted her ability to, to make it as a music a musician. Um, even someone who said to her using her given name, Stephanie Germanata, you will never be famous. And, um, you know, one of the things that people always want is they want that kind of crazy, exciting rise to fame. And in most cases, that just doesn't happen. You know, I've been working with authors for over a decade, and 
what I come up against, and maybe it, it could certainly be different with, with nonfiction. I think with fiction, we are used to this idea that you can become a breakout. If you tell a good enough story and people gravitate to it, sort of like Lady Gaga, you know, her music caught on, right? It, I think there is some luck potentially. I think there's some talent. There's also some hard work. You know, I bet if we asked her, she would say, good grief, like I was working hard to achieve the, the success that I've achieved. And I think for any story like that, where someone looks like a breakout, there likely was a lot of quiet and disciplined work behind the scenes. Um, but at, so I mentioned that I might be a little bit jaded. I think the reason is because I'll have people tell me things like I want to sell a million books. And if I look at the number of nonfiction authors that I've supported over a decade, the book that I know of that has sold the most, you know, maybe sold 150,000 copies. And so, it, you know, especially when people say things like, well, you know, I want to sell you know, 250,000 copies in one year. I like knowing all the work that I've put into my online presence and connections and email lists, and then knowing how many books I've sold like three months in, and then seeing what other authors have achieved. Like, it's got to take magic if you're going to be able to like break through or break beyond, unless you were born with a famous name or have some notoriety that came to you in some other way. So when you look at the books that are the best sellers, Jody, I have this habit of going on Amazon on Tuesdays. Tuesday is traditionally the day that publishers release the new books. And I'm not sure if we had this conversation on my po podcast or not, but what I notice about that is the top 20 books on Amazon, they're not the new books. So if you look at the top 20 right now, and I haven't looked in a few weeks, likely what you're going to see is two or three Colleen Hoover books. <laughs> you know, being a fiction author, I'm sure you're aware of her phenomenon of, of selling so many, yeah. many, many books. And she, of course, yeah. she sold million, millions of books, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so why? You know, is it that she told a story, you know, better than anybody else? Is it that, you know, she attracted the attention of some people who shared her book, who then shared her book, and, you know, people love love the book. I read something that came out recently that said, you know, what's setting fiction apart right now is anything controversial, whether it's like a lot of suspense or a, a terrible ending or a character that you hate. And those kind of controversial things in the story cause people to go on TikTok and book talk as a, as a thing is, you know, propelling books that are a little bit edgier or more controversial to greater success in sales. So the theory is that, you know, if people want to break through, they have to create those things that are like discomforting enough that people are going to want to post about it. So I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm talking all over the place, but you're you know, as not. And, yeah. and what I do, what I do want to say though, is that you use the word a couple of times jaded, and that's the farthest thing from who I think that you are. Um, I read your book with great fascination. And if I did something to kind of disservice how we started out, then please like forgive me because I think that your mindset is fantastic. And I also believe that in terms of the uh, span of an author's career, uh, a million copies is a doable thing. A million copies of one book, 250,000 copies of 
uh, a book in a year. Those are some crazy numbers. They do happen. I mean, I think at last I knew Stephen King had sold 250 million copies of his books over his career, but he's also written 50. And if you write 50 books and you are disciplined just the way that you talk about in reach, where you show up every day with passion to speak to the people that need to hear what you have to say and make no mistake, fiction is the same in that way. We're still speaking to people who have to hear the message that we're getting out there, whether it's purely entertainment or we want some deeper theme to run through our work. If you write 50 books and you're very consistent, you can do that. Um, what I'm thinking of is there was a book, I don't remember the author, but it was called The Millionaire Next Door. Um, and that was the first time that in a really big public way, somebody wrote a book and said, hey, you can work at a factory making minimum wage. And if you do the right things over the span of your career, you can be a millionaire. Um, and a lot of people use that book to propel them in that direction and became millionaires. And I think in ways maybe that that you're not even thinking of on the surface, Reach is a book like that for authors, that if you have consistency and you are willing to tell the truth and be generous to people, that over a career, you can sell a million books. Now, I want to hand it over to you again, because I'm interviewing you, but- uh, you can't have it. both. Yeah, you, you just can't have both. You can't you can't be a millionaire and sell a million copies of the book. You have to choose which lane you're going to get in. And I want to talk about that too. But if you want to respond to, to what I said, how much of that is true or accurate, do you think? Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting to hear my book kind of spoken back to me through your filter. And thank you for reminding me of what I wrote about. I think what I want to let you in on, and I'm not sure if this is in the book or not, but originally the vision that I had for the book or the title that I had for the book was Famous to a Few. And the philosophy behind that is that, you know, we can't necessarily set out to make ourselves famous. You know, it's not something that you can manufacture in an, in an instant. But if instead you focus on, the value that you have to bring, the consistency that you can create, you do that showing up over a long period of time in a generous way, whether you attract a small and loyal following or whether you do achieve that breakout success and reach beyond what's like a small following, what you can depend upon is that showing up over time does allow you to grow your audience and also to have a bigger impact with the audience that you're gathering. So what I would love for people to really consider is like fame is the wrong goal. So I do tell a, a story in the book of a conference that I was attending. And one of the speakers said, well, what do you want fame or fortune? You have to choose. And I completely recoiled from that because I think if we focus on either fame or fortune, it's, it's the wrong end point to get to. If we focus instead on the impact of our lives or the legacy of our lives, it's possible we may achieve one or both of those goals along the way. Um, but if we make those the focus, um, then we're missing the point of, you know, why we're writing to begin with. And whether that's fiction or nonfiction that we're writing, we're doing it because we have a story to share. We want to entertain people. We want to enlighten people. I, I feel like fiction so much is just an open window into like 
what it means to be human. So I love to read fiction just for the way that it helps me to connect with different parts of myself. And there's value there. There's value in, you know, giving someone a different view of the world through a story. Um, So again, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, if we choose to show up in a way with the value that we can bring, you know, we might end up with that million copies um, and million dollars from our writing. But it, but I, what I think end up, ends up happening for many folks is that they're so focused on that big goal that they miss the fact that it's going to take a long time to get there or they give up way too soon. Um, and I, I don't know, Jody. I think since I last talked to you, I interviewed Dory Clark on my podcast. And what she said basically is the people who end up making the biggest difference are just the ones who are still there. You know, everybody else is going to fall away and give up. And if you're still doing it, chances are you're going to be more successful than anybody else, even if you don't have, you know, the talent that they had, but they just quit. Yeah. Go, they, they just quit. Yeah. Yeah, you are. You are absolutely right. And I love how you reframed what I was talking about, about you can have the million dollars or you can have the million copies. And it's interesting because I, I noted that spot in reach when you talk about the how you recoil from fame and fortune or that there's some sort of dichotomy there. I think for me, there probably is a bit of a source of we could have a longer conversation about why I think there's some value to that idea I'm thinking of an old uh, real estate collaborator that I had, and she she would always say, hey, listen, you can have anything you want. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. And I thought that that was a beautiful way. It frames up. I, I like thinking in binaries. So um, I can either be overweight or I can be uh, at a healthy weight. I can't do both because I can't exercise enough to eat everything I want to eat. Um, and I can't diet enough and still eat everything I want to eat. So there are moments of binary choice making. And I like that thought process, even though I don't think of selling a million copies as being famous. Um, like you said, Colleen Hoover is famous. At a million copies, you're a name that can get you into just about any speaking venue, but you're far from being famous. And that's why I don't like to talk any bigger than those two things is a million dollars or a million copies. And so let's do anchor back to the original part of the conversation where we're discussing luck, because you talked about having pedigree as being a piece of the pie. Um, And there's part of me that hopes, and maybe I'm wrong here, but there's part of me that hopes that maybe we can break through that ceiling. Do you think that it's out of, of our reach or just that it's a silly thing to focus on? I don't think it's out of reach. Um, I think it's only likely that focus, consistent effort combined with extreme talent will get you there. So if you think about like, of course, there are books that sell well that aren't any good. But I'm thinking if no one knows you and you write a book that isn't very good, then you're not going to have that breakout success. So you really that's why you have to start with the value of like, can I create the best possible product um, for the audience that I'm creating the product for? And in that way, um, you know, if you're willing to put the work in over time, you could achieve that breakout success of attracting more attention. Um, I, I think though, it's almost sometimes just as likely that you could create something wonderful. And because there's so much noise, because there are so many books, you know, if you don't have the right mix of being able to get the book out there, you may fall short of what you're hoping for. 
So what I what I like to say, Jody, is that you want to have like high hopes, but more realistic expectations. You immediately made me think of a couple of authors that I really like. There's a, a man who teaches at the New School. He wrote um, a, a short book of short stories. His name is Joe Salvatore, and I know that that book is not sold tremendously well. Um, talk to me a little bit about those people who have the talent but feel uncomfortable with marketing themselves. Cause you have some great things to say about that. What I was thinking of, as you were saying that is this idea in the book that I talk about called the influence gap and the influence gap happens where, um, for one reason or another, how we show up in real life is not the same as how we show up online. And it can happen, you know, one way or the other, you know, there are people and I won't name them who are like super famous, but they're expertise or talent or or value to the world is thin. Um, What we see more often is that people have this great real world presence. You know, they've written a wonderful book. They're doing great work in academia. They're doing great work in their communities, but they haven't adequately expressed that online for one reason or another. And a lot of the time, the reason that they don't is because they don't want to invest time in marketing or they're not comfortable marketing. So for those folks, what I try to say is that, you know, if you want to think about reach and the definition that I use in the book for reach is uh, expanding audience plus lasting impact. The only way to do that is to leverage both your online presence and your offline influence at the same time. And so for those people who are reluctant to build an online brand, um, they are automatically limiting the reach of their work. Now, if you're famous enough, or if your work is good enough, you know, kind of online spaces will curate that for you, right? So we were talking about TikTok, you know, if you if you write a book that somehow gets discovered by this <laughs> algorithm, you know, it's possible that without you showing up on TikTok, others can expand the reach of your work by talking about it. Um, And that could happen. Uh, But in most cases, if we choose not to create an online presence for ourselves and curate it ourselves and fuel it ourselves, then we are limiting the eventual reach of our work. We just are because we're missing half of the equation. So, you know, what I try to say to folks like that is um, I try to get them to reframe like marketing, like you can't even think about it as marketing. You have to think about it as service or adding value to others. And I always say like, it's book marketing is not self-promotion. It's either message promotion or it's story promotion. So if you can kind of get out of your own way and think about the fact that you have something of value to offer, sometimes that can help those folks overcome their resistance to showing up online or building an online presence. Not always. Yeah, we need to linger here because this is a really important piece of the mindset that either helps us succeed or drives us to eventual failure. Um, I think of it in a similar way. There are authors, I just mentioned two of them earlier that I love, and I promoted them without feeling dirty or, uh, you know, like underhanded or anything like that. I just said their names and invited anybody listening to go look them up without even doing anything, just mentioning how great they are. Uh, but when it comes to my own book, suddenly, and I mean, not me as much, I've been been kind of like forcing marketing on myself, but a lot of authors, when it comes to their own book, they're like, I don't want to do it. It's dirty. Why are they wrong? Uh, because they, they have created something worthwhile. So if you think about all the work that went into it, you know, I don't write fiction, at least at the moment. Sometimes I, I get compelled to figure out, could I be creative in that way again? But like, if you have invested the time 
to get to the place where you have a book that's published, whether self-published or traditionally published. There's so much work that goes into that. Um, and I don't know, Jody, if you're a person of faith or not, but for me, it's almost like a stewardship issue. There's a verse in the Bible that says, whoever has been given a trust must prove faithful. And when I think about the trust, it could be like our talent, you know, like in the parable of the talents where, you know, one guy buried his money under the ground and the others took took the, the money that they were given and they multiplied it. If you have put your life's work into crafting a story or a book or, you know, a nonfiction piece of work, then it's almost like you're wasting that value if you're not willing to share it with others. So it's not dirty at all. It's this act of giving of the value that we've created to others in a way that they can benefit from it. You know, I, I, um, I grew up in a faith background and um, it's been a little while since I've been actively pursuing it, but I just put out a podcast on Monday that was using um, uh, the analogy of wandering through the desert. Like you have the promised land, you don't know when you're going to get there um, and you don't even know by what means you're going to get there, um, but you keep that goal in mind. And I think that that's a really important thing. So um, I find that there are some really amazing uh, lessons to learn from from faith, and I still hold on to a lot of them closely. I like I like the talents, and I also like this idea that you touched on, but didn't dive into as deeply about the value of what you do have. Um, it's interesting. There's there's I want to try to tease this out, and it might not go anywhere, but. The book itself is your lived experience. If you're a novelist and you're writing about, uh, you know, light years away on a planet with aliens, it's still based on your lived experience. You have to use this rich soil of your lived experience to create. Um, and certainly with nonfiction, if you're driving a business through a book that you wrote, uh, you are using lived experience. And I think that that value is something to anchor ourselves in. And that's where we have to come at this question of, is it okay to mention my book to somebody? So I want to hear from you. I think that you would agree with that. And then how do you know who's the right person to mention your book to? When, when is the signaling moment for you of like, oh, this would actually be a very appropriate moment to sell my book? Yeah. So I think, let me answer that part of the question first. And I, I will tell you that I, I struggle with this myself because I'm way more likely to give someone my book than to ask someone to buy my book. Um, and that's something that I'm just trying to sort out for myself because I do believe that books are seeds. And especially if you want to have that breakout success, the only way to get there is if people read your book and they find it valuable and they offer it to others. So I'm, I'm definitely in this place where, you know, I'll give away as many book books as I can. So this past weekend, I was at a, a library event at my local library. There were probably nine authors there. I happened to be sitting kind of away from everyone else. And I, I met an author who writes poetry and fi fiction, like short stories. And it was kind of before everything got started and she seemed interested in my book. And I wasn't equipped at the moment to sell my book to her because I, I, I have not like, I don't know, for my own stash. I just give those away. So I gave her a book. I signed it for her and, and we went on with the day. But, um, you know, I think knowing who the audience is and knowing what their felt needs are or what their interests are can be the signal that this is a person to, to mention your book to. So for me, it's authors. It's, you know, anyone who wants to fuel a message or thought leadership online. It's nonprofit leaders. It's speakers. It's 
ministry leaders, frankly, I feel like. So if you know the if you know the audience, that could be a signaling tool. So for you, if you're meeting someone and you've discovered that they love to read, you might ask a question of like, well, what kinds of books do you like to read? And if they happen to like the kind of books that you're writing, then that would be like the instant signaling tool to tell them about your book. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that's helpful, but I, yeah. Why do you, why do you think that we miss that signal? And why do you think that we um, say no to, to that signal? Because I think that there's something strange there. People will oftentimes let you know that they're interested in what you're doing. Um, and instead of taking that moment to turn it and say, Hey, well, I have a book that I wrote about it. Would you be interested in, in picking up a copy? Um, it's really hard to do that. And so instead, maybe we'd like change the subject. Why do you think that happens? Oh, I think the fear of rejection is part of it. You know, um, I think in some ways, those of us who are parents, you know, that feeling if someone insults your kid, it's a similar feeling if someone insults your book, like there's nothing better than to have someone compliment your kid. There's nothing better than to have someone like find value in your book. So I think sometimes it's like, I want to shut down the possibility of rejection before it happens. And so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Um, when I was at that library event, there was this woman who came up at someone I've known in the community and she picked up my book and she kind of looked at it for a little bit. And she was like, well, I could see how an author might want your book. And then she just like sort of wandered away and like, huh, well, it is for more than authors. Like I, I obviously am not going to sell this woman hard. If she were interested, she would have bought it. But I just think that, that, that there's so much like, you know, we, we write a book because we want people to read it. We write a book because we want people to value it. And, you know, maybe it's like a self-protection tool. Um, we don't want to face that rejection. You know, we don't want, yeah, you, no one wants to hear that their baby is ugly. I did have three uh, exceptionally handsome looking baby boys. <laughs> we, were, we were really lucky. We thought they could have been Gerber boys, but um, uh, my, my, my oldest son is certainly socially awkward and it's been really fun because we have gone through that with him, um, at, at different points where we've had to let him know, Hey, you, you might experience people saying things that they have no business saying to you and just be prepared for that. Um, it is difficult. And I found myself feeling protective over him at times and wanting to prevent him from being exposed to bad things. He was in wrestling this past winter. Uh, it's the first time he'd done anything athletic. And I found myself sometimes wanting to, to shelter him from failure, but I wouldn't allow myself to do that. How do you feel like that ties into what you were just talking about with the woman at the event who was completely wrong <laughs> about your book? Um, and you didn't want to sell her hard. And I totally get that. I would not have either. She already made a snap judgment, but there's something in there that you can cultivate your mindset just by reflecting on that, that, uh, that moment. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts there. Huh? Well, um, so I, I wonder if it's useful at all, Jody, for you or your listeners to differentiate between the idea of sales and marketing, because most of what I do for a living in running my own agency is sales. So I'm the person primarily responsible for business development. And I think sometimes like sales feels ickier than marketing. So when you think about marketing a book, I think the primary way you market a book is by just talking about the content. Um, you know, on the nonfiction side, you're talking about the content in a way that would help people identify that this is a book for them. Um, and a lot of the journey I think nonfiction authors take is that 
way of continuing to share the content of the book in creative ways to attract that needed audience. Now, sales is something entirely different. So if you're at an author event or you're with a person and, and you actually have to like make the ask for the sale, um, I think it's pretty normal for those who are not like born salespeople to have trouble making that ask. So it may be helpful in terms of the idea of being a reluctant book marketer uh, to really just think about, is there a way I can continue to show up with value while sharing the messages in my book that will attract the people who are going to be interested? Now, at some point, there probably has to be a call to action because you don't want to just be sharing that content and never have that lead to any sales. So I don't know, is is differentiating that at all helpful? Yeah, I do think it is. I do also think that in terms of where I'm positioned to try to help is that space between exactly where you're talking. I don't think that most people have as hard of a time when they don't think about their book as being an object that they have to sell. I think that people are pretty comfortable talking about what their book is about. It's that moment when they think there's intent behind what they're doing. Um, That's really uncomfortable. I'm just about to have a conversation with a gentleman a little bit later today who I know his feelings on on marketing and sales enough that I know he's really uncomfortable. Like to him, art is the highest level. And if the book sells, then the universe meant for the book to sell. Otherwise, let the chips fall where they will. Um, I might be overstating his perspective, but I think that's pretty close. And so, yes, differentiating is really helpful for the listener. And I haven't done a good good enough job in this conversation talking about that, but I am really interested in the intent to sell because that is part of marketing is there is an intent. There's a way we package the discussion in order to make that transition seamless. Yeah. And uh, as I think about it, I certainly have told authors dozens or hundreds of times, Jody, that if you don't ask people to buy your book, they won't buy it. And I noticed this, especially at the time that you launch a book. It's, it's crazy to me how, like, as an author, I thought if I just say my book's here, it's available, that people would just buy it. And like, this came up for me where a colleague who I was on a committee with, and I thought, well, of course, everybody on the committee, they know my book would help them. My book is for them. And then in my mind, I make the leap to, of course, they're going to buy it. And then to find out my book's been out for months and they don't have it. And and so I offer to give it to them. Like we have to realize, and I, I respect your friend of thinking that art is the highest, mm-hmm. but no one's ever going to see, appreciate, or value your art unless they have it. And they won't have it unless they buy it or unless you give it to them. So I think just from a pure survival standpoint, we have to find a way to get over that resistance to asking for the sale. Um, And of course, we can do it in a respectful way. um, And we can do it from a place of, you know, I believe that this will make a difference for you. There's part of me also as an author, I want to say to any authors, like the best thing you can do for another author is to support their work, to read it and buy it. Um, At that author event, I told you about the poetry short story author. Um, I gave her my book and then I bought hers. Like I did that because I could, because I, I wanted to value the fact that she's an accountant who on the side is creating stories to entertain and enlighten people. I wanted to buy the book so I could get to know her better. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a, that is a beautiful story and it's a true story. And it's been one, to be honest with you, that I am conflicted about because I buy far fewer new books than I should. Um, it's no secret that I care a lot about money. Um, and so, so I'm a little bit tightwad sometimes and, uh, we've been remedying it this year, but it's, it's something, yeah, to, if you, if you were giving to the community with your art, then be prepared to support the community by buying its art. Um, there's something really profound there. So thank well, you. Yeah. If I can share any additional ideas, let me know. Like um, when one of the things I do in the authors that we work with, the nonfiction authors is whenever possible, I'll pre-order the book of every author that we're supporting because it, it just matters to me. I know how hard that is. I know how much it means. Mm. And one of the ways I try to think about that is if I were to have dinner in a town, like if I came to Nebraska and if I could go out with you and your wife, Jody, and we could sit down and just talk about the writing life or whatever, if I would fight you for the check, then by all means, I should be pre-ordering your book. That's yeah. Never thought about that either. That's very true. Yeah. It's not like you can suddenly go buy every single book of every author right. you meet on Twitter or, you know, every author you encounter, but certainly if you've developed a relationship with someone, you know, a way that you can support their art and, you know, be a part of their journey and then them a part of yours is whenever possible to do that. Yeah. My good friend, Stephanie Lansom, who I'm happy to tell you about, um, has a new novel coming out in March. And I was thrilled. You know, I always tell people you don't want to pre-order a book in July that's not coming out until March. But I was thrilled to pre-order her yeah. upcoming release, Codename Edelweiss. Perfect. Well, that is a perfect spot to go to because it gives us a, a bit of a call to action if we want to uh, pre-order somebody's book who is in the, the very situation we're talking about. Um, everybody can get a copy of your book, Reach, as well. I will have a link to that in my show notes, uh, but please tell my listeners where they can find you outside of the link to your book. Sure. So if you're interested in my journey as an entrepreneur and in my book, you can find me at beckyrobinson.com, which is pretty easy. Um, if you're interested in my company, Weaving Influence, you can find out about our services at weavinginfluence.com. And then across all the social channels, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, you can find me at Becky Robinson without the vowels in the last name. So it's Becky R-B-N-S-N. Um, and I have the same handle everywhere. Um, so those are the places. And I hope this has been helpful Very. to everyone who's listening. Um, I just want to say that I struggle with this myself too. So I told you a little bit about that library event. And whenever I leave an event like that, I always am kind of like doing a debrief on what could or should I have done differently or better. And I think sometimes we have to go with our own kind of like gut instinct about things. So if I could redo the Saturday event, what I might do is bring 10 of my own books and gift one to every single author who was there, because mm. that's who I wrote my book for. As yeah. it turns out, I didn't sell a single book at the event. It was very poorly attended. So the only way really that I could have created additional value from choosing to show up at that event would have been to find a way to make a difference for the people in the room. Um, and so to the idea of talents, you know, far better to put my book into everybody's hands with the chance that it could return on my investment than to just walk away without having made that connection. So I would encourage any of your listeners, if you're in the pos in the place of being able to do good to someone else by sharing what you know, always uh, err on the side of, of giving away more of what you know. I love it. 
I love it so much. You have been generous to me already in numerous different ways. Um, it's very apparent to me that uh, you you are a mentor in in the space of generosity, um, but also in just teaching people how to market, how to give of themselves, and to really be passionate about what they're doing and understand that there's value in it. So thank you for your time. Um, really excited to share this with all of my listeners. Please go listen to Becky's podcast, uh, get her book. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.